Good morning again. Thank you again for your welcome. Thank you for your prayers, Nigel. Um, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Second Timothy. Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter 2 and beginning to read at verse 1. Second Timothy chapter 2 and <clears throat> beginning to read at verse 1. This is God's word. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to get the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Amen. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, no pain, no gain, um, normally used as an exercise motto to say that without pain, there will be no results. And when it comes to vanity, without going into all the details, many of us seem to be willing to go to extreme lengths of pain um, in order to improve our physical appearance. We, we view the appearance of our physical bodies as, as important and worth pain. What about when it comes to the gospel? What's our pain threshold like then? How is our stamina? How would we rate our perseverance? Is the gospel important enough to us to endure a bit of pain? If a person is aware that, that, that they're going to die, and maybe in their, their final days or, or final weeks and, and they're still able to speak, their, their final words are often so precious to family. Um, and final words often reveal the true person and what has been most important to that person in life. And often they give this over to family or friends who, who are listening. And family will cling to these words as something so precious and carrying so much impact. Well, in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing from prison in Rome. He's nearing the end of his life, and he knows that execution will be soon. 2 Timothy, we could say, is the most personal of Paul's letters, as he addresses my beloved child, whom he longs to see. Paul speaks of, of Timothy's family almost like reminiscing of their faith through 
the generations. And while we see much love and and emotion and sentiment towards Timothy, Paul makes a charge to Timothy that is hard and that is difficult, but one that is real and one which Timothy must be prepared for. And we see very quickly that that a gospel-centered life is not for the weak or faint-hearted. We see throughout 1st and 2nd Timothy that there are two ways to live. We can live in a way that is biblical or we can live in a way that is contrary to sound doctrine. We can be lovers of self or lovers of God. We are told there are those things which we must avoid and then there are those things which we must do our best to do. Um, There are things that we must flee from and there are things that we must pursue. There is a way to live our life that will be useful and there's a way to live our life that will be wasteful. There's a way to be ungodly and there's a way to be godly. And all of these things put together really clearly visibly express whether we have a genuine, sincere, saving faith or a faith that is fake and false. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, if you want to live this godly life, you're going to have to suffer. In chapter 1, Paul gives a brief overview of his own experience, kind of setting himself as an example as, as what's to come for Timothy. And we can see a pattern of, of gospel living, where Christ suffered, and he said to his disciples that, that they would suffer, Matthew 24, but we see Christ suffered, Paul suffered, Timothy was going to suffer, and we too will suffer. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy 3.12. And so Paul says to Timothy in in chapter 2, verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So there are three commands here to Timothy. Timothy is to be strong. He's to pass the message on to faithful men. And he is to share in suffering. With Paul's imminent death, he wants to be sure that the gospel is in good hands. And while we saw a pattern of suffering through the generations, likewise, there is a pattern for what the specific task is and the resource for carrying out that task. Paul received the message from Christ. Timothy received it from Paul. And now it's over to Timothy to share the message and pass it on to faithful men. And those faithful men are to share the message and pass it on to others. And so the process has continued throughout the years. And here we find ourselves in in 2016, having received the message, and we too are to share the message and pass it on to others 
who will do likewise. Now, I know we're not all called to be pastors or teachers, but if we have received this message, this message of the gospel, and we have believed it, well, can we say it's not our responsibility to pass it on? For this task and the resource, Paul was strengthened by the grace and the power of God. Timothy, and of course Timothy was often remembered as having a shy and a timid nature, often lacking in self-confidence. Well, Timothy would be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we today in 2016 will be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Text here is in, in the present tense and it enforces the need for continual dependence on God. The, the strength that, um, that Timothy requires will not come from within himself, but from God alone. But Paul doesn't say to Timothy, Timothy, you need to be confident in your own ability. You, you, have, you have a great ability to preach and look at the experience you've had. You've had a Christian upbringing. You're more than capable of this task. No, Timothy is to rely solely and completely on God's grace. And you know, we often see a lack of self-confidence as a negative thing, and obviously it can be. Um, destructive to us in some ways but spiritually speaking realizing your own inadequacies will be your greatest strength because they will push you directly to God's grace to God's strength and to God's ability and it may sound like like stating the obvious but any gospel work that you're involved in whatever form that may take be sure you're completely relying on the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I find this very comforting. It can release us from so much worry and, and anxiety when you realize that simple fact, it's God's work. He will achieve it through his own saving power, not ours. But don't, don't let the enormity of the task put you off, but embrace every opportunity that comes along for gospel witness. And when you're saying, I'm not able, I'm not adequate, well, you're exactly right. But God is able. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul uses three metaphors um, to explain to Timothy what is required for this type of work. So we'll just look at these three, three metaphors now together. <clears throat> so firstly, we have the soldier in verse 4. The soldier is required to have single-minded focus for the task. The soldier, we are told, is not to get entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And as gospel people, we have got to take seriously and be focused on the task that is entrusted to us. The gospel is to be our single-minded focus in life as we serve and work under Jesus Christ. Civilian pursuits are really referring to the secular world. And of course, we, we experience this, this tension almost of, uh, of living in the spirit by the word of God all the time, but, but yet living and being part of a secular world. And we must be 
among the people of the world in order to bring the message to them. But, but we must be careful that we don't allow the activities of the world to distract us from our task. So what does it really mean to be in the world but not of the world, to use that phrase? Well, I think First Peter 2 is very helpful here. First Peter 2.16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You know, sometimes we can find ourselves in, in a dilemma wondering, is, is it okay for me to go here or should I go to this event or even is it okay for me to watch this box set or this film? And you know, at times if you're in doubt, maybe it's your conscience telling you, well, no, it, it's not right. But I, I think one question that, that we can ask that is helpful is, am I doing this as a means for the gospel or am I using the gospel as an excuse to go here or, or do this? We might say something like, well, well, hopefully when I'm there, I'll maybe get an opportunity to, to talk to someone and I might, I might be a witness when I'm there. If, if that's our mindset, the chances are we probably won't be a witness. We require single-minded devotion, gospel first, everything else second. We must be very intentional about our gospel witness. Or, or we might say, but, but I live in grace. I, I'm free to watch this and I'm free to go here. And I would say to this, true, 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 we do live in grace. But, but let's not cheapen this grace as, as an excuse for evil and disobedience to our master, Jesus Christ. Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor and and theologian, and he says, speaking about cheap grace, he says, cheap grace only barred, or, or cheap grace only halted the, the progress of believers, seducing them to believe that the, the mediocre level of living consistent with the world was life at its best. And he goes on to say that this cheap grace actually weakened and deceived men when they thought they were strong. In reality, they had lost their ability to live obedient lives as disciples. So as a soldier of Christ, there will be battle. There will be tough decisions. There will be sacrifice. But this is the call of the gospel on our lives. The gospel at times requires us to do things that we simply don't want to do. For you, this may mean saying, no, I'm not going there, or no, I'm not watching that. It may mean taking control of your words, taking a big step back from, from gossip at work. In certain times, it may mean coming across as a bit of a killjoy. It may mean ending a relationship that you know isn't God-glorifying. It may mean saying no time and time and time again to sexual temptation. It may mean going to IBC, it may mean packing your bags and, and moving house or going to another country that God has called you to. It may mean speaking about your faith when you would rather the ground would swallow you up. It may mean reckless abandonment to your master, Jesus Christ, in all things. And remember, we live not to please ourselves, not to please other people, but, but to please God, the one who enlisted us. 
this is a tough calling, only possible through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, the second metaphor Paul uses there in verse 5 is, is an athlete. And in order to compete um, in, the, in the Olympics, an athlete would be required to take an oath that he or she had been training for 10 months. An athlete had to practice self-discipline, and dedication, and persistence on a daily basis. And of course, it's no different today. There's no easy way to becoming a professional athlete. It requires daily discipline, and, and the athlete can only be crowned if he competes according to the rules. Now, before we jump to any conclusions, this is not suggesting any kind of rule-keeping or law-keeping could ever justify us. We are only ever justified by grace alone through faith alone. Keeping the rules is, is not a means of justification, but rather evidence that we have been justified. Just before Christmas, I, I cancelled gym membership because it was proving such a waste of money. Um, I suggested to a friend a few weeks ago that I would run the Belfast Marathon with him. I've run, run one mile since we had that conversation. Now, you perhaps are, are much more disciplined in the area of fitness than I am, but often we find self-discipline and persistence is just hard going. It's hard to keep it up. And, you know, if, if we want to live according to the rules, if we want to live in a, in a self-disciplined, in a controlled and, and godly manner, well, we need to be reading God's word. And, and there's no easy way around this. David in the psalm says, I, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You're disciplining yourself to pray and, and study God's word every day. It's, it's hard work. And this doesn't come easy, but it's essential. Paul says in chapter 3 of Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I find if, if I don't plan Bible study time, I, I don't do it. And so it's a good idea to, to just plan a specific time every day that you will sit down to do that. It may mean saying no to something else in, in order to do it. And you know, I'm, I'm so aware that, that as I point the finger, so to speak, on this, that, that there are three coming back, and, and my discipline in this area at times is just embarrassing. And so we need count accountability in this area. Of course, good athletes have a personal trainer, someone to keep them in check. And so we need our spiritual family and friends who, who just aren't afraid to ask us, well, what have you read today? Have you been able to get some time praying today? Or what are you learning at the minute? How, how do you feel you're maturing? What are some of those things you're fleeing? Or what are you pursuing at the minute? And when we come to, to, to study the Bible, we, we really should draw on, you know, on Bible commentaries and, and the internet and, 
whatever resources we have available to us, there are so many right now. And I was just saying briefly earlier, I think I was thinking yesterday, I was a believer, I think, for 20 years before I picked up a commentary. And they're just so useful to us. There's, there, there's Bible study apps with running commentaries of the whole Bible, which are just so helpful and, and so accessible. And, and they help to ensure that we're actually understanding the Bible and not, not just reading it for, for the sake of us. So I encourage you just to pick up and, and really make use of some of those resources. And if you're unsure um, as, as to what resources are reliable and trustworthy, then just simply ask someone. This idea of, of discipline, when I'm, I'm teaching piano, I, I see it so clearly. Um, you know, you, you get someone who's a beginner, and they're just buzzing about, about learning piano. And they've all these pieces in their head that they, they really want to be able to play. But then they realize they need discipline, and they need daily practice, and so they become a bit deflated, and suddenly learning piano isn't so exciting. And it's, it's similar to us all, I think. You know, we, we like the idea of being more spiritual, of, of having godly character and having answers to all those tricky theological questions. But don't ask me to sit down and, and study the Bible for an hour. Uh, you know, with people like Don Carson, John Piper, we admire them for their wisdom and, and knowledge. And granted, I believe God has given men like this special gifts, but they didn't magically acquire their knowledge or conversion. They have toiled and, and sweated and studied over the scriptures for endless hours, week in, week out, year in, year out. They've sacrificed time and hobbies and friends and probably much, much more that they might understand the scriptures better and be more effective witnesses for Christ. So an athlete must be disciplined and he must compete according to the rules. To live, in a gospel, to live a gospel-centered life, we too must be persistent, dedicated, and self-disciplined. Well, the final metaphor that, that Paul uses is, is the hard-working farmer in verse 6. And again, it's really this idea that, that strenuous toil will be the process to reward. And as with the soldier... And the athlete, the Christian worker, must continue to keep laboring hard even when the situation seems difficult or even impossible. The little experience I have of, of farming was gained through my grandfather. His work just seemed endless, long days, seven days a week. Um, to my knowledge, he, he never had a holiday or, or spent a night away from home. And a lot of the time, farming just seemed to be about just keeping going, hard grafting, day in, day out, mundane life. Just pushing on. Proverbs 24 says, A slugger does not plow in season, and so at harvest time, he looks but finds nothing. In other words, farming and laziness do not go together, and neither does laziness and gospel work. John Stott says that a farmer's life is totally devoid of excitement, remote from all glamour or peril and of applause. And that's true, isn't it? You know, farmers often don't get a lot of recognition for their hard work. 
once the meats and Tesco's are on a plate, we probably don't cause a second thought for the endless hours that a farmer has, has put into making this happen. And you know, in gospel work, we may see some results, but quite often we don't. And, and very often we get no recognition for what seems very hard work. And here lies the temptation of laziness to say, well, what's the point? Life's short. I'm going to start taking it a bit easier and, and stop being so concerned all the time. Perhaps, you know, you've, you've worked in the same place for years and <clears throat> you've been trying to impact non-believers and maybe every lunchtime you try to bring the conversation around to the gospel or you make an effort to go to social events or just gradually trying to build deeper relationships. But the truth is you can't really see how God has done anything noticeable since the day you started. And it just appears sometimes impossible to make impact for the gospel. And this can really become wearisome and, and mentally exhausting. But I just want to encourage you, keep going. Keep pushing on. Keep having those conversations. Keep making the effort. And, and don't undermine what God is doing through you, even though you can't see it now. You know, perhaps there's... There's people you pray for and um, again, you've just been doing that year in, year out and you can't see any change in that person. Well, just keep praying. Don't undermine the power of your prayers just because you can't see instant results. Um, there's a lady, George, George Eliot, she wrote in the, in the 19th century. She was a, a poet and a novelist. And one of her best-known books is, is really just observations about life and about people. And um, she, she attributed that, that some of the good in the world, um, and she said that it owed a lot to those who lived faithfully a hidden life and rested in unvisited tombs. And... I saw this quote and I thought it was so applicable actually for, for this metaphor. Just to challenge us, are, are you prepared to live a life just chipping away, working away faithfully for the gospel with, with little recognition or glamour? You know, we often wonder, where, where has God called me to? Perhaps God has called you just right where you are to live faithfully a, a hidden life and rest in an unvisited tomb. Paul leaves Timothy to, to ponder these ideas, verse 7, and, and assess what they will mean for his work. As you ponder these thoughts today, what, what do you think? Does it make you want to run a mile? Or are you prepared for hard work and difficulties and tough decisions and, and opposition and mind battles and weariness and Weary responsibility, suffering for the sake of making Christ known. To be honest, yes, at times I want to run a mile. At times it just seems too much. But, but then we read verses 8 to 10 and we realise that the foundation of all this, this work. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. Paul does not think Timothy is going to forget about Jesus Christ, but but we must keep this truth to the fore of all that we do. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, has preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. 
but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So we endure and we press on and we fight with faith and valor. Because when faced with trials on every side, we know that the outcome is secure and Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. And it's coming back to the basic facts of the gospel message and realizing again the truth and the significance and the impact and the power of the gospel, of the word of God, which is not bound, that will drive us and push us on. And if this isn't motivation enough, and, and with this I finish, I know, I know I've ran over time, but if this isn't motivation enough, 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Appearing. And on that day, we will stand before God, dressed in righteousness, not our own. And not until then will we realize just how much we owe. But the glorious truth of the gospel is that we have nothing now and we will have nothing then to pay because that award will be granted to us because of Christ's obedience to the Father's will, not ours. Because of his sacrifice, not any second-rate, mediocre sacrifice that we can make. So yes, if you want, put your feet up and take it easy. But is the gospel not worth much, much more than that? In light of Christ's sacrifice and the implications of that for our future, does that not stir you? Does that not motivate you to push on in service for Christ? Does that not do something inside you that you can't explain? Does that not change the way you pray? And does that not make you realize that the difficulties and the pressures and the strains for the gospel now will be every bit worth it? And the greatest reward of all, 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And here's the greatest thing. Because we will see him as he is. We will see Christ face to face. So let's not be too short-sighted. I think that's worth this short struggle. And I pray you do too. Amen.